Well, thank you again for making the time to uh, tune in and listen. Uh, I'm the pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church in Waterbury Center, Vermont, hopeforvermont.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We're all over and we're just trying to share uh, God's message. And one joining us now with a tremendous story of how to share God's message, but more importantly, the why you share God's message is Mr. Clyde Clymer. Clyde, how are you? Great. How are you, my brother? I'm doing well. I just want to touch base real quick. Last time you were on, we talked about Andre Jackson, who made it to UConn. He was actually a lot of fun to watch uh, for me to know a Division One player or know of one through you. But you said that he had trouble adjusting, just finding his offense shooting. For you, how hard was that for you to see him struggle at UConn? It was pretty difficult because I know his potential. Obviously, his uh, athletic uh, abilities, you know, which is innate, but um, he's great at penetration. He's awesome with his handle. He's an excellent passer, a great defender, but this is no secret. You listen to even the commentators and they speak about how much he needs a jump shot. And I am fully persuaded, no doubt whatsoever, if Andre gets the type of jump shot that he needs and he's able to take that jump shot wherever he wants to go, off the dribble, catch and shoot, spot up, whatever it is, he will probably, and I'm being sincere, maybe this year would be his last year. That's how, wow. good, he is. That's, that's how good he is in my opinion. And uh, I love listening to the commentators. They just excite me. I mean, they love him. They, they're yeah. absolutely, they're intoxicated by his game. And the things that he can do, but all of them, to be honest, they're they're all saying the same exact thing that everyone else is. He needs a jump shot. Yeah. So I, I talked to him not too long ago, and he goes, "My jump shot's coming along." Good. Uh, I kind of arrogantly said, "You get my jump shot, you'll be in the you'll be in the <laughs> NBA." Last year. <laughs> yeah, watching a couple games, seeing him get a couple follow-up dunks and a couple big blocks, you can tell he has all the tools. It's just putting some of those together. But trying to transition, hopefully it's a good segue. A lot of times Christians have all the tools to share their testimony, share their own story, let alone introduce someone to the love of Jesus, but they don't utilize those skills. Why do you think, quote, personal evangelism is so difficult for so many professing believers? Basically, I think because they're afraid. Hmm. Uh, people don't want to be rejected. People don't want to be referred to as Jesus freaks. Uh, some feel inadequate in their abilities or capabilities in sharing the gospel with people. And um, I think that they are, they just have a problem with seeing whom they are and just being embarrassed to some degree, or they may not say the right thing. And I basically believe that most of it has to do with fear and not, you know, sharing the gospel with people. Uh, that, that grieves me deeply. Now, Clyde, you do it very well. Clyde Clymer makes some time. We're talking about evangelism today with uh, uh, me being the pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church. If a believer, follower of Jesus, is not sharing their testimony, how much are they missing out? on God's plan for their lives? Tremendously, immensely. Um, usually I greet Christians on Facebook and I 
say good morning you downright awesome saints in Christ Jesus and I mean that with all of my heart but a lot of Christians don't realize the awesomeness that abides inside of them and as a result of being ignorant or unknowing or unlearned about who they are in Christ it at times is very difficult for them to uh, transfer that awesomeness onto people you read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, which wrecks me and blesses me. God called Abram, actually called Abram and said, I'm going to bless you, not only to bless you, but to make you a blessing. So every single person that enters into covenant with Jesus, enters into covenant with Abba and the Holy Spirit, when you get touched by God, something happens with you. God gives you an ability. God wants you to know who you are. But mainly, God wants you to realize if you're going to spend any length of time here on earth, I did not bring you into the kingdom, enter into covenant with you just for you. Right. I brought you in to bless you, to anoint you so that you would go and touch people's lives with that which I have given to you. And uh, basically and simplistically, that's basically it. And Claude, I wonder sometimes that even for myself and being a pastor and some people put me on a pedestal and soon I remind them that I am uh, should not be on a pedestal. But it's understanding your identity as being forgiven. And maybe with a cancel culture, people want to remind you of your lowest point, the lowest common denominator. And so they're afraid to say, like, believe in Jesus because he's changed my life, knowing what a sinner there is, because for whom much is forgiven, much is loved. How important is it or was it for you to grow in your faith, but grow in your maturity as how God saw you, not as you shared last time you were on, your testimony of being a sinner? Well, <laughs> it doesn't shame me in any way that I was once a sinner. I'm wrecked and I'm over. I can't, I don't even have the words to define it. I am just so extremely appreciative that God loved me so much that he embraced me and apprehended me from a life that was going to destroy me, literally destroy me. Yeah. I OD'd on heroin twice, didn't know I was dying. Many times I should have died. But God got a hold of me, made himself extremely real to me, touched my conscience, which was one of the first realities of my encounter with God. And from there, I grew into some maturity. I have, I still have a long way to go. My greatest desire now, Pastor, is that I live to please God. That's mm -hmm. my heart. I don't want to do anything that would remove his smile from his face concerning me. I never, ever want to hear God say to me, Clyde, I'm disappointed in you. That would break me. That would, that would ruin me. So. He's placed it in my heart, brought me to the place, and I give him all the glory for it because I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for him. I wouldn't have these desires if it wasn't for him. So I thank God that wherever I am right now, that is going to glorify Yeshua, is going to lift up God. As far as evangelism goes, that happened instantaneously. Instantaneously. As soon as God got a hold of me, Pastor, he gave me a big mouth. I didn't know a lot of what I was talking about. I mean, the Jehovah Witnesses would beat me up. The Mormons would beat me up. And uh, I would take them by the hand and take them to my pastor. His name was Pastor Seddon. He's with the Lord right now. And 
one time he hurt my feelings, but the feelings, you know, were good to be hurt because it caused me to mature. He goes, Clyde, you break these people to me too much. You got to start doing it on your own. That hurt my feelings, man. I found me a little Bible, put it in my back pocket, started to devour it. And I got, I gained some ability to the point where I could wrestle with the Mormons and I could wrestle with the Jehovah Witnesses, you know, to an extent, to a degree. Yeah. But to be honest, instantaneously, you know, it wasn't like I grew into something. It's just that I got zapped and I got a big mouth for Christ. And to an earlier point you mentioned, and uh, I've heard it said that there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. But you can live in such a way where he is proud of your actions and how you live and what you just said about not wanting to disappoint him. It just reminded me of that. Uh, I know scripture is critical and no way I'm saying it's second place. You can't really uh, place some of these spiritual formations. But prayer is so powerful and the power of the Holy Spirit because he's not limited or bound by space or time or distance. Before you go out and start your day, because you evangelize and talk to everybody, do you start your day with praying for God just to work in people's lives that you're going to encounter that day? Sometimes I do. I can't say that I always do. Um, pastor, it's just, it's a compulsion that abides inside of me. It's a zeal, and there's a fervency. And if I can put it this way, there's an innate Holy Ghost fire that abides inside of me. And I'm consumed. I'm overwhelmed with acknowledging the loss. So I've, I've asked the Lord, I hope it's okay to ask that, make me one of the greatest soul winners that you've ever had within the kingdom of God. And I expect him to do that for me. Not that I would have any accolades, not that I would have anybody pat me on the back. As a matter of fact, I had a lady today get in touch with me. She goes, how do I send money to you? I want to bless your ministry. And my ministry mainly, if you want to refer to it as that, is just talking to people about yeah. Christ. And can you imagine somebody wanting to give you money for something that you do <laughs> naturally? You know, something that just is as easy, seemingly as easy for me as breathing. And I give God the glory for that, too, because people say, you're so bold. I say, no, I have the same encounters of fear and temptation like you do. But for some reason in God, I just step through it and uh, just open my mouth and reach out to people with extreme politeness and kindness. And, uh, and they have been overwhelmingly kind and generous to me with their time. So as far as prayer goes... You know, I pray every single day. It was it was just so, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, maybe I'm slow or something like that. But Pastor, I was sitting in my bedroom where I, that's my prayer closet. And I was just praying and it just became so real to me. I'm talking to God. I'm, I'm really talking to the Abba. I'm talking to him. And I opened the windows up and there was a guy downstairs. He's next door. And he knows my wife isn't here. She's at work right now. So he might have been, who's he talking to? You know, and it just became so real to me. And I became so alert and aware of the fact, the truth, rather, I was talking to God. And it just it just blew me up man. It just blessed me. So wow. prayer is vitally important. You pray for protection. You pray that God would send you to places. There are times when. They are what I refer to as Jesus moments. They're like ordered divinely. 
sometimes you just walk out and you see somebody and you talk to them. But then there's times, you know, like the Lord will say, I, I might get an inkling to go to Price Chopper or go to a grocery store. And I wasn't planning on going. I was planning on dropping my wife off, going home, getting some more sleep. But I obey. And then when I get to the place, I realize why I obey. There was somebody there that got the opportunity to hear the gospel and not only heard the gospel, but they repented, they received Christ. And all I can go by is what I share with them. And then I always ask them, are you serious in what you just did? And every single time they say yes. Last or Sunday, I had a wonderful opportunity. It just blew me away. I had an opportunity to lead a police officer to the Lord that I believe he pulled alongside of my car to tell me to move. And uh, I was waiting outside. I had my blinkers on. So I'm at a one-way street, and there's only enough room for cars to go by me. So I'm talking to one guy, one guy that was with me, and I looked to the left, I looked down, and I saw the black car, and it said, Sheriff. And it just kind of caught me off guard. So the thing, the first words came out of my mouth. Hey, man, do you believe in God? And, uh, he goes, yes, I do. I said, well, I believe you want to go to heaven someday. You know, you really, you really want to go to heaven. You don't want to go to hell, do you? He goes, no, I don't. I said, if you were to die today, are you absolutely certain that you would go to heaven on God's terms? He paused. But I am patient because when people take more than one second to answer the affirmative, I know that they're not sure. Yeah. So he waited and he goes, no, I'm not sure. I said, well, man, we can take care of that right now. And you need a ticket to heaven. If you want to go on a trip someplace, you need a ticket. You need a ticket to go to heaven. That ticket happens to be Jesus Christ. He's paid for it already. All you need to do is repent and receive him as your savior. But I have to tell you the truth. If you don't receive Christ as your savior, you will spend all of eternity in the lake of fire. Now, you don't want to go to the lake of fire, do you? He goes, no, I don't. I said, are you willing to receive Christ as your Savior right now? He goes, yes, I am. And we prayed. And it was so it was so funny when I told my wife, she goes, yeah, he was ready to give you a ticket, but you gave him one. <laughs> uh, Claude Clymer, he's our uh, neighbor over in New York State. And uh, I say this in jest, but some good things come out of New York State. And... Uh, <laughs> Being here in Vermont, being a New England, Boston sports fan, it's just kind of funny. But bringing sports back into the play or into the conversation, I know you coach basketball as I try to as well. And sometimes you have an athlete, a student that has an interest, but they don't understand the rules. And I say it carefully regarding Christianity because we don't want to talk about rules. We want to talk about grace. But within God's grace and love, there is justice. And because there is heaven, well, there's also a hell, as you just mentioned. What is your thought on how sometimes people, Christians, pastors, talk more about heaven and don't really mention hell too much? Uh, that kind of bothers me to some degree. Because in my opinion, from my perspective... When you look at the news, what attracts people? Not good news, bad news, okay? So most of the news involves what? Bad news. And people become fascinated, mesmerized by that. So most people, I think, that if they do believe in a heaven, many of them believe that they're going to go to heaven. And they don't really think about hell and the lake of fire. And I have found it to be somewhat 
alerting or amazing. When I pray with people and I, I share with them, you need to acknowledge you're a sinner and you deserve hell. So when I'm praying with them and they get to the place I deserve hell, they kind of, what? So then you go into the fact or you go into the truth about the doctrine of hell. Too many preachers, they want to present this rosy colored Christianity. And there is that aspect of it, but there's the other side also. And in all my 47 years of walking with Christ, Jeffrey, I have never really, really glorified heaven as much as I glorified hell. And when people, when you talk to them and uh, they might get all pumped up and, and, and nicey nice about heaven, but what really gets them is when you tell them about hell. When you tell them about the lake of fire, something hits them so hard. I don't want to go there, Clyde. Well, are you serious? You really don't want to go there? No, I don't want to go there. Are you willing to receive Christ then? And I would say 98, 99% of the people that I've spoken to have prayed with me and have accepted Christ mainly because they don't want to go to hell. Now we have this man, this preacher that I, I challenge him all the time because he preaches something about the cross that just bothers me. It just bothers me to know that. And uh, he's got this way of looking at people where he preaches that we shouldn't have this self-centered attitude and vision of ourselves, you know, and how valuable and how of great value and worth we are to God. But don't look at Jesus on the cross as a pass out of, um, out of hell. Yes, we should. You know, and he wants to glorify and exalt identity, destiny, and purpose. I said, look, man, you don't get identity. You don't get purpose. You don't get, you know, destiny until you first get your name written in heaven. Yeah. So, you know, they, they want to, you know, they want to exalt all this good stuff and try to make you feel good about yourself. And I sit there and say, as I often do. Lord, the cross is about not my worth. It's not about how valuable I am. When I look at that cross, it took a very valuable, a very extremely precious individual that would go to the cross for somebody like me. Why? I knew what I was. I knew, I still know what I am. You know, how I miss God, hor- I mean, horribly at times. And I sit there and say, God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. I don't go like this. Oh, I must have been so special, so valuable. Oh, so, so this, so this. That's right, right. me. I sit there and say, you did that for me? That means how special you are, not me. Well, I, I certainly agree with that. And I would challenge the pastor you're referring to that uh, I think there's this innate sense of what we deserve because of our sin. So to understand God's grace gives us this out. Somebody wrote, I believe it was Lisa Turkhurst. I can't remember who exactly, but they said, whenever I know I experience grace, my first response is gratitude to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have rescued me from. Because knowing what I deserve, but knowing what you provide for me, it's a phenomenal hope. One thing I know, and I'm a pastor in a Wesleyan church, Wesleyan denomination, and we do believe in spiritual warfare. We aren't looking for demons behind everything or to blame everything because people make stupid, foolish choices. 
But there is an aspect of spiritual warfare, in my opinion. As you are sharing, witnessing, giving your testimony, and evangelizing, how have you seen God intervene when spiritual warfare is taking place? Um, I have to admit that I really don't acknowledge it or, or recognize it. You know, the Bible says you know the truth, and the truth shall make yes. you free. So when I'm out there sharing, I'm more concerned about getting, tr getting truth to them, them understanding that truth, imbibing that truth to the point where they will make a decision, a conscientious choice, I need Jesus. Yeah. So yes, there's spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter six, you know, tells us, so it's not your opinion, it's the truth. We are in warfare. We are in, we are in great warfare. You know, Jeffrey, something came to me the other day and you can rebuke me and correct me if you like. I thought I said, you know what? We can raise the dead. We can cast out devils. We can feed the hungry. We can give thirsty to the drink. We can heal all types of sickness. We can do signs, miracles, and wonders. We, God can use us to produce or to bring forth notable miracles. And you know what? The Satan is bothered by that, but he doesn't go crazy over that. Right. He doesn't lose his mind over that. You know what he wants to happen? And, and the Holy Spirit showed me this. Clyde, he doesn't want people to be like that one leper. The 10 got healed. The 10 walked away. But one got so touched deeply, such, when you talked about yeah. gratitude, I don't think Christians, some of us realize the depth of gratitude that we ought to display. That leper who had lost everything, may have had a family, lost everything. And Jesus touched him and healed him. That man wasn't really only concerned about possibly getting back to his wife, getting to his children, getting to his family. Something hit him so hard that I owe him my life. And I'm turning around and I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to follow Jesus. Jeffrey, that's what drives the devil crazy. He doesn't want people's names written in heaven. He doesn't want people's names written in the book. He, I'm preaching on that now. He doesn't want people's uh, names written, written in the book of life. He want, if, if, if they are, he wants their names blotted out. The devil, the de and, and this is kind of cool too. It's like, like me and the devil was having a conversation. You know, Clyde, I can do those signs, miracles, and wonders too. Jesus said when he was accused of, right. you know, working miracles, he says, who do you do them by? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Revelation 16, 13, three unclean spirits, what were they doing? Miracles. Okay. So Satan, and, and what got me also was that Moses standing with the magicians, hey, Moses, you ain't so hot. We can do that too. Right. The, bad, the, the bad thing about it is that Moses' snake ate their snake. Okay, the authority of God, the power of God. But what drives Satan batty is people coming to Christ. And, you know, that 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 just it's got to be about that. You know, you can have all that good stuff, but you don't get the good stuff until you enter into the door. And the door is getting your name written in heaven and in the book of life. And people have talked about good is the enemy of great. And I fear that even Christians kind of they are satisfied or content with the good when God says he has abundant life where we are singularly focused 
on Jesus' grace, his salvation, his redemption, and his power that we can share with others. And I, I really enjoyed that answer because I think it is so important that when we are witnessing, we don't worry about what could go wrong. We just know the message that we have because we are hidden in Christ is yes. so powerful that it changes lives and it restores and sets free and it brings healing to individuals. Now, for myself, I'm kind of an extrovert. I love talking to people. It seems like you enjoy being around people as well. When people would say, well, Clyde, you're just good with people, so evangelism comes naturally. It's not for me. How do you politely share with them, I have a certain personality, but it's every Christian's responsibility to share the truth and hope of Jesus' salvation? How do I share that with them? How? <laughs> that's what i want to do but yeah <laughs> it it is one please forgive my bluntness it is one of the most asinine excuses that a person could ever come up with you yeah. mean to tell me you met jesus and it's not you to talk about him we can talk you know we got heroes we can talk about michael jordan kobe bryant muhammad ali people in the NFL, whatever erudite scholars and people that become our heroes. And you mean to tell me that you got diarrhea of the mouth over them and it's not your thing to talk about Jesus? Right. Something's terribly wrong with you. As it's so bad that I wanna really ask you, are you born again? Did you yeah. really meet him? You know, <laughs> Jesus healed somebody and said, please don't, you know, don't say anything. What did the person do? He ran his mouth. The woman at the well, what did she do? Instantaneously, because Jesus gave her a word of knowledge about her life, she went back into Samaria and she turned the whole city onto Christ. She couldn't shut that woman up. Anybody that really meets, I mean, really, really, really meets Christ, I don't know how they went to Walmart and bought a zipper for their mouth. I don't know how they do it. So it's a very poor, poor excuse. And it's a very, there's a very sobering warning from Jesus and I don't play with it. And I tell them, Jesus said, if you do not confess me before, before men, I will not confess you before my father, which is in heaven. So you better wake up. Wait, yeah, I do. You shouldn't have to use that. You should love Jesus so much and what he's done for you. If he really has done something for you and you have a testimony and you mean to tell me that you can't talk about what he did. Did it really happen? And I would say to that, that's why it's also so important that people grow in their faith and they become maturing believers. So they understand God's word. They can understand some of the concepts, as you said, that you begin reading the Bible so you could engage in conversations with others about what is truth versus what is opinion. There's a movie, I can't remember uh, what it was. I just remember that the the man in the movie was going through a divorce, something like that, but he was on an airplane and there's a young woman next to him and he took off his wedding ring and then engaged in a conversation with this person. And it made me think sometimes Christians, we take off that proverbial sign of saying we're a Christian because we don't want to engage. Maybe it is because of fear. Maybe it is because we don't think we know enough. How important is it to learn on the job, so to speak? And I would say if a student, if Andre wants to become a better shooter, that he needs to shoot the ball. He yeah. needs to learn technique and study, but he needs to really practice and shoot the ball. 
how important is it that Christians practice with a genuine heart believing that God's going to use that conversation, that interaction, to bring life into someone else's life? Well, I would agree. I'm not too up on the word practice. And um, I have a different perspective than some coaches because ever since I was a teenager and loved basketball, while I was in high school, man, in the late 60s, this was embarrassing. I was shooting a set shot because I couldn't shoot a jump shot. And I was embarrassed then. I tried and tried and tried. For about five years, I um, just didn't have a jump shot. I tried, but there was a man that I went to college with and his father, from what I understand, played for the original Celtics. His son, who was an awesome baller, he goes, Dad, Clyde doesn't have a jump shot. They had a basketball court across the street. He took me out there. He said these words, if I remember correctly, First, don't care whether the ball goes in or not. He showed me how to handle the ball. He goes, get arc. That's why I love Pistol Pete. Get arc. This is how you hold the ball. Shoot and just let it fly. Jeffrey, I took his advice. Within seconds, I became deadly. And I'm not, I became deadly. deadly. So it wasn't a matter of me learning. It wasn't a matter of me, you know, practice 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 when i got it i never had to practice i just shot i'd look and say oh my gosh i'm not missing oh my gosh i'm not missing there was a coach at one of the colleges that i went to he goes i've never seen a pure shooter like clive hunter never so you know someone with other some others they you brought it forth you learn technique you get that technique once you got the technique down trust in your technique and then just shoot so what is practice about? Practice isn't necessarily about someone that already has skill getting more getting more skill. It's about maintaining what you already have. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't go and add something. Add right. something to your game. Get that down. Like I would tell Andre, steal from everybody. So you steal from everybody. Now you have your own unique game. You got some of LeBron. You got some of Kobe. You got some of Michael. Now you've got your own unique game. And now... Just trust in that game and have fun, man. Yeah. I, was the, I was the cockiest person in the world. So here with Christians, people will say, well, you school us, educate us how to, how to um, witness. Jeffrey, I want to say, no, I don't want to teach you. I don't want to show you. You mean to tell me you met Christ and you don't know how to talk about Christ? Why do you need me to tell you how to talk? It used to crack me up. You know, and people about training. And I, you have children. Your precious wife, how is she? She's doing all right. She's doing awesome. well. Thank you. So, so it, it was kind of humorous to me. You go into the, you're going to get your, have your baby. Your wife's in labor. And all of a sudden, the baby comes out. And you guys are ecstatic. Oh, oh, what? we got a baby. We got a baby. So the doctor comes along or the nurse comes along and says, calm down. Calm down, please. Before you get overly excited, I need to take you into a room and teach you how to talk about how to be excited over having a baby. Right, right. Are you crazy? (laughs) Nurse, get out of here and shut up. I don't need for you to teach me how to talk about being excited over this child. It's the same thing with Jesus. Now, I have this hand technique. People have asked me, what is that hand technique? And I show them. I said, it's very easy, but it's all about I love God. I know what God did for me. 
He's changed me. He's very real. And I don't find it difficult at all to talk about him. And I know this is true. They don't, Jeffrey, because they're scared. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the bottom line. They're afraid. And at times I wonder if the church has done a disservice, whether it's the four spiritual laws or putting out a methodology that's supposed to have an end result when people need to be given the opportunity to say yes or say no. But as Christians, we continue to present. And from the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we are truly filled with God's love, we can't help but show it. Yes. Might not come out as a sermon, but people know that we genuinely care about them. And we know that for us, our only hope, our only salvation is Jesus. And Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now, you know, his intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. And I just get so excited to talk to people like yourself because like me it seems to come so naturally and i get frustrated when it doesn't come as natural for others and i'm like wait i i don't understand so sorry if i'm yelling in the mic but oh, I, I man, do, I'm, I, loving, I'm loving your zeal i do get excited as we wrap up and we still have some time but i would love for you to share some of your personal testimony how you grew up what you went through before you truly encountered Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, I um, I grew up poor, you know, and uh, we lived in a cold water flat, which means we had no hot water. We had this little hole for a toilet. Six people in a three-room apartment, which was very small. At the age of seven, I watched my, my after my mother, which justifiably left my father, and uh, I still lived with him. I was seven years old saw him drop dead right before my eyes after a couple of weeks when she left and died. I believe that was really God, God's hand because he died. She came back and took care of her four children. I grew up in the midst of danger, violence and, you know, radicalism and, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, women. I tell people my heroes were the pimps and pushers in New York City. I only lived 30 minutes from New York City, north of New York City, Tarrytown, New York, the legend of Sleepy Hollow and all of that. And um, <clears throat> I became a drug pusher for a little while. Not anybody great, you know, and uh, I had the opportunity to pimp a woman. She asked me to pimp her. I said, no, nah, I don't think I want to do that. I went to, I became a heroin addict in high school. I mean, I was a freak. And I, I, I'm honest with people. I don't tell people my background, my poorness and all this other stuff led me to do what I did. I was a freak. I loved that lifestyle. I loved the hippies. I loved the black power. I loved everything that was going on. So when people say, why did you get into it? Because Clyde was crazy. It was fun. But fun entered into addiction and it got serious. But it was still fun. I went to my first college as a heroin addict. I went to and I had to leave because I thought they were going to call. They were going to uh, lock me up because um, <clears throat> I got involved in the student risings and stuff like that left came home got a job still doing heroin and all that stuff hanging out with my boys and then i got a call do you want to go to college again i said yes i went i went to cobaltville college and i was a demon there i was a demon so in cobaltville college you know we um we had racial riots and different things like that and i'm really condensing all of this we had racial riots we used to fight this white fraternity gdi and um one day, what they did, they threw Molotov cocktails into the dorm where all the blacks were housed. They burned a 12-foot cross, and we went berserk. Some of my uh, students, my peers at the college, blacks, blew up the electrical plant. 
We did over $100,000 damage to the administration building. We took over a girl's dorm, held hostages. I remember the tallest Caucasian. He foolishly walked in front of that dorm. We went out, apprehended him, brought him inside, put him on his knees. I took my switchblade out, stuck it to his neck. And they and the students, don't kill him, guy, Clyde, please don't kill him. I wasn't going to kill that man. I just wanted to scare the white out of him. You know, but the thing is, is that I went there. And then all the darkness, Jeffrey, all the lifestyle that I was living caught up to me and it wanted to lead me to suicide. We had a hippie professor, Mr. Cleve, and what had taken place the day that I said I was going to commit suicide. I said, let me go to his his office. Maybe he can help me out. At that time, I didn't know that I was looking for truth, but I was very confused. And I went in, he was in his office. Thank God he was in his office, not because of him, but because of what took place. I'm in his office, I'm asking these stupid questions. And I got so confused, I went like this, Mr. Cleve, you're only confusing me more. And I went like this. And as soon as I did this, Jeffrey, I went, I know why Jesus came. Wow. It's like Jesus walked in that office and the darkness that was over me, you could cut it with, it was gone, man. And I was, it was like, I was on 10 LSD trips, you know, and I did a lot of LSD. I, I said, oh my gosh, even the dark was lit up. But that was my first encounter with Jesus. I left Cobleskill, lived with a lady for a while, and then um, got into a fight with her, hooked up with my friend that I met the very first week that I got into Cobleskill. I remember the words that I asked him when I called him up. I don't even know how I got his number. He lives in big New York City. I called him up. She might have had his number. I said, Eddie, do you still believe in Jesus? Because I need him now. And what had taken place, what had taken place was that I hooked up with Eddie, went back to Cobleskill, all right, and was worse as a citizen. And I became a bartender. I was worse. I had this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. I'd be drunk all the time, but I'm talking about God. I'm leading people to Christ in that state. It was so bad, I would never miss church, but I was a demon. People would have probably said, you're the biggest hypocrite in the world. You're demon-possessed. You ain't God-possessed. You're demon-possessed. That's how bad I was, be fighting with people, drunk, drugs, women, and all that stuff. But Jeffrey, at the same time, while I'm working in that bar, I would put tracks on the bar. I would put tracks on the table. They, You know the sign they would have lit up, happy hour? I would have on the sign, Jesus loves you. On Sundays, I'd have Jimmy Swaggart playing, all right? My boss literally said to me, he goes, Clyde, you're turning my bar into a church. And, you know, that was just a wonderful, wonderful compliment. I left there, came to where I live now, had a real history here, a horrible history here, where they tried to send me to prison, possibly for life, all right? Just the, the mayor, the chief of police, top lieutenant, uh, police officers, co-workers, I'm telling you, man, they literally, literally tried to destroy me. But Jesus, when he gave me my job, you know, I said, this is Jesus. And he told me, Clyde, you'll have this job for as long as you want it. I had that job for 33 years. I had I had a boss, the last boss. I called her the midget demon, man. She was, he was horrible. I could tell you so much about my life, man. But the thing that took place, the Lord said to me, you'll have this job as long as you want it. You'll have it as long as you want it. I got tired. Things started happening. They were going after me. So I finally figured out all the time that I had left. So I, I was able to retire at the at the end of March 2017. Jeffrey, I retired 2017. Now, within those 33 years of working for the Department of Transportation, they were always threatening us to shut us down. 
threatening us to shut us down. I would write articles in the paper. Other people write articles in the paper. I wrote articles in the paper about Jesus all the time. The editor said, Clyde, you write too much, but I'll let you write once a week. So what took place? I retired, Jeffrey, the following year. The place closed down. Wow. And one lady goes, Clyde, you always said you'll have that job as long as you want it. So that's a condensed version of my testimony. Yeah. I could blow it up and tell you all the stuff that took place. But man, God is good. <laughs> God is good. And he certainly has a plan. And I am so grateful uh, just for Ben Brown that introduced me to you. And uh, I love Ben. But sometimes when people say, hey, you got to meet a friend, it's kind of like a book. If yes. somebody says, hey, you need to read this book because I really liked it. It's like, I, I want to find my own book. But I'm so, <laughs> I'm so grateful uh, to Ben for this introduction and this friendship. And um, I am just so proud to call you a brother, a Christian brother. And just to know that uh, we as Christians, as believers, have a great story and a great hope to share with others. And um would you do the honor of just praying for me and our church here in Vermont that we would become soul winners, that we would just follow that passion that God has for us to share his hope, his salvation with others? Abba, we come before you together with our mutual measure of faith. And Abba, we just ask in the precious name of Yeshua that you would place a fire in the hearts of your people Jeffrey, his wife and children, the congregation that sits with him. May the fire, may the fire that abides inside of him presently, that cup would overflow and those people there would drink of that cup. The power, the anointing, the authority, the zeal, fervency that abides inside of him, that they would not only hear what you're doing in him, but his light would shine so brilliantly that the individuals around him within his realm of influence would be touched in such a way that they would become as you are in him. So Abba, it's your will that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. You fill us with the Holy Spirit. You fill us with the Holy Spirit that we would go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth to proclaim Jesus, to lift up Jesus, to preach the gospel. And Abba, we claim that right now. It's inside of them. We just pray that they would just allow the veil to be rent so that they can step through into the Holy of Holies, Abba, that they may be able to exalt and glorify Jesus with their lives, and they would be overwhelmingly filled with love to do that. Let that zeal come forth in that fire. And I believe that you're working already. You have a precious man of God that you're using in Vermont, and I pray that you would use that man along with the people that's with him to turn that place upside down. All things are possible with you, Abba. And I'm believing that you're going to do that through this man. Because, you know, he loves you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a man that loves you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength is a tremendous detriment and is extremely dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. So, Abba, thank you for hearing, and thank you that in hearing, you answer. It's in the name of Yeshua we pray. Amen. 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 Clyde, thank you so much. We, uh, we wish you all the best, and uh, I'm grateful for your friendship. Thanks so much. Pray for me, man, please. We are. We are. 
But uh, Jesus, we just lift up Clyde and his ministry to you. Uh, you just open doors for him to engage in the divine appointments that you set up. We just pray that your presence and the power that comes from your word would continue to embrace him, that he would just overflow and spill out with your words of truth and grace and goodness. But Father, your spirit would be at work already convicting and drawing people close to you. We thank you how you woo us, how you are patient, but Father, how you call us to something deeper, to something more. So Father, for his family, we lift them and give them to you. Father, for those he encounters, we just ask that other Christians would come and just water and help to cultivate that seed the good seed, the good soil, so that we can reap your harvest and join you in what you are doing. So, Father, we give you all the glory. We thank you, God, for who Clyde is, how you designed him, for how you rescued him, and that that same salvation would be known by many. We love you, Jesus, and ask that you would answer his prayer, that he would be one of the greatest soul winners that has worked for you, that is a part of your family. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you, and God bless you. And that's Clyde Clymer. Wow, what a story. And um, we're going to talk more. But as Father's Day is this Sunday, it's uh, 2021, if perhaps you're watching or listening after. But we just want to be known as a people that knows Jesus is the only way to salvation. And because of his great love and grace for us, we can enter that salvation in a way that we can be bold and share the peace of him, the hope of him with one another. Be joyful today because God is with you. He's in you and he is helping us to be more like him. We thank you all. We'll talk to you soon.